Our reading today will be in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 9-1. You know, before we get started, as Jackie said today, today's world is getting dicey. I like that word. It's getting exciting as far as I'm concerned because, man, things are in this accelerated pace that they're in this microwave world where we live in. We want it now and we want it now. Things are happening. Things that we didn't expect to see, and they're happening quickly. And I just want to encourage you, as in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, it says that we are to watch Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that we do be done in love. Yes. It's important that we do that today in this time with all these situations, with all this judgment. Prepare yourself, saints, because we're going to have to take a stand. Prepare yourself, saints. We're going to have to proclaim who He is Amen. by our actions, by our words. And by the love that he demonstrates to us. Mark eight twenty two. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they, bought, they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands on them, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. <clears throat> then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into town nor tell anyone in town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them, And the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and to be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glorious glory of his Father, with his holy angels. And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for how you are moving in our individual lives yes. and how faithful you are every day to provide for our just basic needs, Lord. 
Help us not to be complacent, Lord. Help us to be able to be joyful in all places where wherever we find us, in trial and tribulation or in joy, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the shepherd that you have given us, Lord. We pray that you will speak to him, that you will empower him with your Holy Spirit, and that your words will fall upon us, Lord, and that we will heed them in taking them to the world in love and action, declaring who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Exciting times we live in, eh? God is good, man. When we, when we began this section of Mark last time, remember we talked about the reality that more often than not, the disciples were missing the full impact of the message. The Gospel of Mark really breaks down into two parts. The first part is, who is Jesus? And then the second part is, what's his purpose? And Mark, as he gets straight to the point, we're, we're still in that section. We're just getting ready to cross over to what is his purpose and the concept of who is Jesus. And, and in the light of the miracles that he was doing back in the early part of chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000, and, and you remember the disciples were upset because they thought Jesus was mad because they didn't have bread when they got on the boat to go across. And, and Jesus was telling them, man, you guys don't understand. And then right after that, if you look at verse 21 of, of Mark chapter 8, it tells us that, that Jesus said, how is it that you still don't understand? And then he goes on. Now Mark puts this particular miracle in here for a reason. Because this particular miracle is a vital piece of us understanding what's happening in the revelation of God to his disciples. And what happens in, your, in my life and the revelation of God in our own life. How, what do I mean? Well look at it. It says uh, all of a sudden you have a blind man brought to Jesus and... This, this particular miracle seems a little different than the others, doesn't it? I mean, he, he comes, Jesus spits on his eyes, which in and of itself is a little weird. You don't know that? I think that's a little weird. But, we've seen him do that before, spit in the dirt, make mud, and wipe it on his eye. So, so here's spit in your eye. He spits in his eye, and then, when he does it, when the healing occurs, it occurs in two parts. And you've never seen that before. Jesus speaks and it happens. Jesus says, be, be gone and they're gone. But this miracle happens in, a, in stages. Their, his sight is returned to him in stages. And I just want you to put that concept of that miracle, and I want you to place it parabolically beside all the stories that have come before in Mark chapter 8 and the ones we're going to look at today. And what are all those stories? What is going on in all those stories? People are blind. They think they see, but they don't quite see. They, don't, they don't, can't really grasp it. Their spiritual insight, their spiritual sight, it comes gradually. And it only comes, don't miss this, it only comes with a touch of Jesus Christ. It does not come, your spiritual insight does not depend on you. I don't care where you went to school, how many degrees you got, how fluent you are in the Greek and the Hebrew. If Jesus Christ hasn't touched you, you have no spiritual insight. One of the smartest men I have ever heard speak is Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman used to be a pastor. Now he's uh, the, the king atheist. He's the number one most uh, uh, credited Greek scholar on the planet, as far as I know. 
smarter than most people you and I will ever meet. But without the touch of God in his life, he's just as blind as the Pharisees were. Without the touch of God in his life, he's never going to connect the dots. Without the touch of God in his life. And there came a point in his walk, uh, Bart Ehrman's walk, that he was presented with some difficult things scripturally to deal with. And I think at at a pivotal moment, when Jesus asked this blind man, Do you see? What would all the Pharisees have said? I would see fine. I got this all figured out. This is how things are conjugated. This is how we can understand. This is what this means and what that means. But what this guy say? No, I don't really see so good. Everybody looks like trees walking. So Jesus touches again. Then what? He sees clear. And I think that same thing happened in, in Bart Ehrman's life. And the problem is, I think that same reality is going on in the lives of a lot of people within the church right now. Okay, between you, me, and the lamppost, I don't care what the Supreme Court does. I could give a rip. They do whatever they want. What did that change? Uh, other than the fact that a couple of Christians who were getting sued end up having to pay money now, it didn't make any difference. Did it stop people from living together who shouldn't be living together? Did it get more people living together who weren't living together in, in, in sinful lifestyle? Did, did they do any, no, it didn't do any of that, did it? No. We really have no reason to panic or fret. What do we have? What is our job? God give us one job. He ended the gospel with that job. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Now what is the message that we're supposed to go with? The gospel, right? We go with the gospel, making disciples of all nations. All means most, right? No, all means all. So, all nations, we go to all nations with the gospel, present that gospel. Do you save anybody? You can't save anybody. Who saves them? What's our job? Our job is to tell them. Our job is to be the herald. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. Uh, That's as easy as I can say it. It's a little more complex the deeper we go. But that's the point. That's the point. But the problem is, a lot of people in the church today, and one of the things I'm excited about in our current time and the things that are going on, is I believe it's going to cause the church to get up out of their complacency and their laziness and to recognize that I've got a job to do. And in case you are unaware, there's, there are people out there who hate you. You think, everybody thinks you hate everybody. But the reality is, they hate you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, they hated me, what are they going to do to you? Okay, they're going to hate you. So, should we be upset about that? Does that mean we're going to quit? They hate me. They said mean things to me. They unfriended me on Facebook. Oh, Lord have mercy, it's a, it's a, it's a travesty. So, so I hope as we look through this, this section of scripture, we can just have our eyes to see two things. We want to be able to be uh, patient and understanding with our brothers and sisters because they're in various stages of this story that we're looking at. In other words, there's spiritual enlightenment. Sometimes they haven't reached maybe the same place you are. Maybe you haven't reached the same place somebody else is. It's okay. What's the key to getting there? Look, the key to getting there is that you know I've got to make more of those Bible studies. I've got to make more of those prayer meetings. I've got to do... 
No, that'll happen as a result of you doing what's necessary. What is necessary? A touch of Jesus Christ in your life. How do we get that? We ask. We're honest. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I'm having a hard time. God, I need need to have better understanding of what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing. And Jesus answers that. What Jesus doesn't answer is our arrogance, thinking that we have all the answers. We have all understanding. And, and when we try to proclaim that, when we try to share that, we, it starts bouncing off, starts bouncing back at us. Because at that, my words mean nothing. In fact, I should stop talking to them right now. It's God's words that matter. It's what God says. It's what His Word declares. It's understanding what His Word declares and holding to it. Let's look at it. Verse 22, chapter 8. It says, He came to Bethsaida, and they brought Him a blind man. And they begged Him to touch Him. And here's the first thing I want you to recognize in our ability to have spiritual insight. This is application, okay? We want to apply what we're looking at. So, the first thing that I want you to see is it's done in community. Okay, it's not just a blind man wandering around. He, he couldn't have found his way to Jesus. How did he get to Jesus? Somebody brought him. Somebody brought him. Is, is that not the, our job, church? Is that not our job? Bring people to Jesus. That's, that's the key. We want to bring people to Jesus. And then what's the second thing? Look, we know that these people loved this man or cared for this man because of what they did. What did they do when they brought him to Jesus? They begged him. That is a passionate display of a strong, urgent desire to see God move. So when we bring somebody to Jesus who's blind and cannot see, then it also ought to be covered with the the reality of what we see these guys doing, which is what? Pleading with God to do what? Open His eyes. Who opens the eyes of the blind? You and me? So God opens the eyes of the blind. So when we bring a blind person, they, we don't need to tell them all the things they're doing wrong and all the stuff that's wrong in their life. That There may be time for that somewhere down the line. What am I saying? You bring them to Jesus, and that bringing them to Jesus is covered in prayer, pleading God to open their eyes. Pleading with God to open their eyes. Well, long time ago, guys, I, being an apologist was my goal. I, I wanted to be able to out-argue anybody else on whatever view they had. The whole concept of arguing, I had people quit Bible college classes because I was in them. <laughs> they'd come into class, and they'd look at me. Back in those days, I had long hair and, and uh, no beard. Uh, so it's, things are changing now, but it's okay. So I, I'm there, and I'm in class, and, and if the teacher said, I'm, my favorite guy was, was Murt Ashton. Murt Ashton always said crazy things, I thought, I thought, how can that be right? And so I would argue with him the entire class. And for me, it was important because I wanted to know, can you defend what you just said? Because uh, I don't see that. <clears throat> but, and it, so, but I have people that see me and go, well, we're not going to learn nothing in this class. Because Jackie's just going to argue with this, the, the teacher the whole time. So they quit. I love to argue. I sit down and I still today love to argue. In fact, I will take opposite views just to see if I can, <laughs> just how good you are. You come up and say something and I go, really? Well, let's sit down and talk and I'll just flip the other side. But as I went through all of that stuff, I thought that if I had the evidence and the argument, that I could throw that out to people. I could lay that out I could say to somebody who says, I don't believe that there's a God. And I put down all this evidence on the ground and I pile it up. Then... They would believe, right? 
Oh, it doesn't work that way. It's not the evidence that brings anybody to faith. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the move of God. The Bible says no man comes to the Father. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draw him. Unless the Spirit draw him. It's a work of God. So then what part am I supposed to give people? God's part. I should leave my part out. Later on, they, they come, their eyes begin to open, I'll lay out the evidence. But I can stand before you, Bart Ehrman, and, and another Christian equal, and they can look at the same evidence and come up with radically different conclusions. Why? It's the same evidence. Because one's eyes are open, and one's eyes are shut. And you've got to learn to be okay with that, because that's the truth of God's Word. It's what God's Word declares. So, so what happens? We bring them. And what do we cover the ones we bring? With prayer. With prayer. That's the most neglected thing in the church today. We've got to stop that. We've got to be people of prayer. That we are praying. Long before we ever take a, a sign and start walking down the street, around the corner, pick it in some move, we need to be ha- having covered that in passionate prayer to see God open eyes. It's got to be. It's got to be what the church's response. He goes on in verse 23. It says, So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. <clears throat> and, he, uh, and when he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. The second thing that we see is this spiritual awakening comes in stages. He begins to see, and then he sees fully. You want to see another example of it? Look at John chapter 9. You guys remember the story of John chapter 9? If you were at camp with us, we went through John chapter 9 at camp. John is the man born blind. John 9. You guys remember? He's born blind. Everybody wants to know who sinned, him or his parents. And Jesus says none, but that the, the work of God would be revealed in him. So he's blind because of God's purpose. God wants him to be blind. So that he can show you and I and those who would come after how God, how God moves and how God works. So Jesus meets this man and he heals him. And what do we see is a progression. First, they ask him, who did this to you? He says, a man named Jesus. The next time they ask him, no, who did this to you? He, they say, he, said, he answers, a prophet. He's progressing. He's progressing as he's being challenged by what had happened into his life. And finally, he meets Jesus and he says to Jesus, hey, who is this? Who is this? Who is, who is, uh, um, tell me, who is this Messiah that I might worship him? And Jesus says to him, it is he who is standing before you, who touched your eyes. And what's the Bible say? The blind man fell to the ground and worshiped him. It was a progression. There was a progression. Same progression that we see here. What, what do we want to know about that? We want to be lifting things in prayer passionately seeking that move of God that changes lives I don't care how many laws you pass I don't care if you have the power to change every Supreme Court justice and the Supreme Court you cannot legislate morality you cannot legislate a change in someone's life to change it from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that work is done by God Almighty and that is wrought through prayer and God's people bringing them to Jesus. There's a, there's a 
point in which it happens. You see the same thing happen in the disciples' lives. They don't understand, they don't understand, they understand a little more. In a moment we're going to see Peter make a big proclamation, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The other Gospels tell us Jesus said that on that statement, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Against that statement. Against that truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then how many seconds before uh, we throw to shoot and we have utter failure? Is it even a verse? There is progression that occurs in your life, in my life, in our lives as we walk with Christ. We want to be able to see it. Verse 24, it says, And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. So he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. The third thing that this thing teaches us is utter dependence on God. Utter dependence on God. Not dependence on you and I. Now I'm not trying to absolve us from our responsibility to read the word of God and to be in prayer. I'm just saying it's not through self-effort that your eyes are opened. Your eyes are open because God opened your eyes. It's a spiritual awakening that God does. It's utter and complete dependence on Him. What is the key? The key is this man when he's asked, Do you understand? Do you see right? What was the big trip for the disciples? You guys understand they were always doing what we do. Yeah, I get it. I do school ministry and I I lay out some difficult concepts and I look around. Everybody got that? Oh yeah, we got that. Really? No, we don't understand nothing you said for the last 15 minutes. The point is to be honest with the, with the areas in our life where we're lacking understanding. And where's that understanding? Where does understanding of His Word come from? It comes through His Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Doesn't the Word of God tell us that the Holy Spirit teaches us? Okay, so if the Holy Spirit teaches, does that mean we don't need a teacher? Well, maybe not. Maybe a teacher is able to tear things down <clears throat> and break it down for us. But ultimately, what, how are you taught through that teacher? The Holy Spirit working through you. How are you taught through the, the commentary or books or the study you might do? The Holy Spirit brings things to your understanding. It opens your eyes. And we need to have our eyes open. So we've been rolling for a long time with our eyes shut. And I think God is saying, time to open our eyes, guys. It's time to get in the game. There's a whole lot of people perishing every day going to, going to hell. For our failure. And so we need to rectify that. How do we rectify that? It's prayer. It's bringing people to Jesus. Being passionate about bringing Him. Recognizing that there's time that occurs and allowing the space for that to happen. And then it requires a total dependence on God. Then he goes on in verse 24. It says, and he looked up and he said... Or I'm sorry, in verse 26. Then he, then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. So he's healed, his eyes are open. Jesus tells him not to say anything. I, I alluded to this a little bit as we did the, the devotion going into the Lord's Supper. And that simply is, Jesus says that because every time he heals or touches or reveals himself to somebody, it costs him something. It's by his stripes. He's got a job to fulfill Nowadays, what, what is our, this guy's marching orders was, it's not time yet, shh, shh. When he rose from the dead and he came to his disciples, what did he tell his disciples? Did he say, hey guys, get out there, spread the word. No, he said, shh, 
You wait. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you so that you can be what? My martus, my witness. You wait. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the birth date of the church, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And from that moment forward, what has the word been? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. Go. Is there some doors we're not supposed to go to? Is there some people that don't deserve to hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? There's nobody that we can't take that to. And there's a lot of people today that need to hear that, that need to understand that. Now, as we're talking, again, we're talking about spiritual insight. We're saying that this healing is parabolic. It's showing us the example of spiritual sight, spiritual blindness. Now look at the very next story. He goes on in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went out (coughs) to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? We're coming down to the only two questions that really matter. He says, Who do men say... Who does the world say that I am? You guys pay attention to who the world says Jesus is? Because i got a lot of twisted ideas. Sometimes we purport those same ideals. Sometimes we post those same things on Facebook. Maybe we mean it, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't understand what we're really saying by the different things that we say. But sometimes we paint Christ in, in a light that is not who He is. How do we know who He is? It's right here in the Word of God, isn't it? Is it absolutely here in the Word of God? Completely, totally, utterly dependent on the Word of God? So we, I, I, I'm not opposed. Have to be careful. So God, don't let me mess this up. Got to get this across. So there's a lot of, of talk that's been going on about love. We're supposed to love our neighbors. Some people treat that as though that is some, in some way separated from, from God's law. Do you know where Jesus quoted that from? Leviticus. The Old Testament. Leviticus 19. Right after Leviticus 18 when God said all of these different types of uh, relationships between people. These are all sinful. Stay away from them. It doesn't just talk about one. It talks about all kinds. Every possible one you can imagine. And then we get to the end of that, describing how to don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He gets down to the bottom and he says, love your neighbor. So this is what I mean. Sometimes love your neighbor means you, you love them enough to tell them the truth. Not that you love them so much that you want to tell them there's nothing wrong with their choices. And I, I don't care. You, you fill in the blanks. The, the current headlines, I, I really could care less about. There's bigger problems happening in the church than those things. But if you go back in your time and read Leviticus 18, and then you continue on and re, read Leviticus 19, and you ask yourself, does God care less about those things now? Because Jesus quoted from it. This is how you love your neighbor. This is how you love your neighbor. 
How does the world see me, Jesus asked. They didn't see him right, right? How did they see him? They said, well, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, <clears throat> some say one of the prophets. Is that who he is? So they don't have a clear understanding. So, so it, it shouldn't frustrate us that they don't see him clearly. But if we don't see him clearly, then we need to be spending time with the Lord asking him to open our eyes. Open our eyes to the truth. Where is that found? In his word. All of us, at one time or another, have, have said this phrase. Judge not, that you not be judged. Have we said that before? Okay, let me ask you a question. Let's just follow that thought through for a moment. Is it wrong to commit murder? Judge not, lest you not be judged. What's wrong with you guys? Is it wrong to lie? Judge not. I thought we already we discussed this, right? Judge not that you not be judged. Now come on, you can't judge that. What's the context of the scripture when it's telling us that? It says we don't have the right to condemn another. You and I don't send anybody to hell. But the Bible does tell us to judge righteously. And if we judge righteously, that means murder's wrong. Why is murder wrong? Because God said it was wrong. What about lying? Lying's wrong. Why is lying wrong? God said it was wrong. Why? Because the standard for me is God's word. So if God's word says it, that settles it. Now we have a lot of problems with that. We got a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in here we don't like. Isn't there? Come on, don't lie to me. Say, oh, well, Jackie, I believe it all. Because I'll turn you to Ephesians 5 right now and say, women, submit and see what happens. <laughs> Man, I seen, I got 10 mean looks just like that. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Listen, God's word. I, this is what I saw. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm never going to finish. So, God's, uh, God showed me something on, uh, on Facebook, which I would never go to. But sometimes I bump into something on it, and it's like, whoa. And so I see this article that says, how stupid is it to follow what God's Word says for marriage? And the very first example was, wives, submit to your husbands. And how utterly ridiculous, dumb, that's stupid, that's lame, you should never do that. And sometimes there's folks in the church that feel that same way. And it's only because we don't understand it. Do you know that the Bible teaches us that, that God is a triune being that exists in whole and complete and utter love? In every way, God's not lacking anything. He didn't create us because something was missing in his life. He's utter love. And in that equality of the Trinity, in the equality of the Trinity, you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in that equality, you also have an example in the Trinity of submission. Don't you? The Son to the Father. The Spirit to the Son. How are we created? Oh, we're in the image of God. We're little... God bearers to image forth the glory of God. So if we're imaging forth the glory of God, God chose in the one relationship that would be the best way to really begin to show forth the glory of God was marriage. And so he took marriage and he took man and woman. And he says, I, I want man and woman to, to function the same way we do. And so he asked for man to take authority, which most men don't want. And he asked for women to take a position of submission, which most women don't want. 
which require all of us to function in marriage in a place where we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to be the man and woman God's asking us to be. And that's what God's Word teaches us. It's true. It's true. It's what it says. It's what God's Word teaches. We don't have to be afraid of it. I'm not supposed to interpret God's Word to my life. God's Word changes my life to line up with it. I want, I want my life to line up to His. I've got to be careful and guard my traditions and the, the attitudes that I have looking and going to God's Word. So when Jesus said, who, the, who does the world say I am? There's a lot of crazy ideas out there that filter in here. And we start thinking that, that God didn't really mean what He said. And, and then you start seeing the church flipping on, on stuff that the Word declares very clearly. Look, folks, the sin that God has declared 2,000 years ago is still sin. And I don't care what anybody says, it's still going to be sin tomorrow. It's my sin, it's your sin, we're all broken, we're all stained, we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us can stand before Almighty God without being clothed in the blood of Jesus Christ, having repented of our sins, and put our faith and trust in Him. And that's the only way, and I don't care who you are, what your background is, there's no other way. That's it. One way to the Father. The world doesn't understand Him, right? It doesn't see who He is. So then he said to them, who do you say I am? That's the most important question. Who do you say he is? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we are to confess with our mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. The word confess is homo legeo. That means we say the same thing Jesus said about himself. So that means all that Jesus said he was, we are saying, yes, Lord. You are who you said you are. My faith and trust is wholly and completely, utterly, totally in you. We confess. And what does he say? Who do you say? So that's the question. Who do you say? Because today, and in the weeks to come, there are going to be a lot of churches that are going to totally fold what the Word of God teaches and what the Word of God says for popular opinion. They're going to say that this is the move now in the world, and so they're going to, they're going to allow the world to change the Word. And that can't ever happen. It's the Word that changes the world. It's the Word that changes people's lives. It's the Word that has that authority. So what, what, what are we to do? we we got to be firm in His Word. And maybe it's unpopular. Maybe people won't like it. And maybe it will one day back us into a corner. But I know this. When my little son is... Having fun, running around. He has no concept of the danger around him. He's just playing. And if he takes off running for the street, and I see cars coming, and I recognize this is a dangerous situation, I'm going to tell him. Once, while my feet are moving, while my arms are reaching, while I'm trying to do everything that I can do to put myself in a position to change his direction. And I will tell you, that is love. And sitting back and watching him run into the street is hate. And that's how God describes it. If we love, then we speak the truth in love. 
And we share the truth in love. From a place of love, covering, covering it in passionate prayer, wanting to see God open eyes. Right? I mean, that's the goal. Have guys up. Hey, Joe, how are you? I don't know where mom is. She's here somewhere, though. She's probably, she's probably looking for you. There she is. <laughs> oh, the good news is Joe found mom. <laughs> we want to be able to answer that question and to help others answer that question. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only one who saves. The only one who saves. It's not, salvation isn't through church. Salvation isn't through anything else. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to Him. That very thing He's asking of for us. And then Jesus began to teach. Look what the Word says. He began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The structure of the Greek in this sentence hinges everything off of the word must, which means none of this is optional. All of this absolutely must happen. All of this absolutely... He must suffer. He must die. For all their lives, the disciples have been taught that one day Messiah would come and He would finally, once and for all, destroy evil and destroy death and wipe out their enemies. And He would sit on the throne of His kingdom and things, life would be good. And so the disciples are longing and looking for that realization, right? And as they hear this message that Jesus is beginning to talk about, Peter starts to think, man, this is totally against my desire. Peter, how well do you see? How well do you see? God give us two eyes, two ears, how many mouths? So we should definitely talk half as much as we currently do. We need to pay attention. We need to listen. We need to watch. If we did that more, we'd find ourselves in less trouble. Right? Sometimes I just say the first thing that comes to my mind. You should probably stop that. <laughs> it, it might just be proof that there's really nothing in your mind right now. Or certainly nothing that is good. Disneyland told us a long time ago, if you don't have something nice to say, do it. Shh, be quiet. <laughs> so this is what, he's, 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 he's laying these things out. Here's God's plan. Here's man's plan. Do they go the same way? Isaiah 55 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. So is our plans and God's plans, if they, if they are headed in different directions, which one's right? Well, funny how you guys all have that right answer, but somehow I bet if we look in your life, there's, there's a little more angst behind it. <laughs> Come on, God, I want to do this. I want to go this way. I want to be... And, and God says, oh man. The Son of God has to suffer. Has to die. It's the only way. There's no other way. That's it. That's it. And Peter, he, he, can't, he can't fathom that idea. The scripture says that he spoke this word openly. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That word rebuke is the very same word that Jesus used when he cast out demons. 
When he rebuked the demons, when he rebuked the storm, same exact word. So Peter is, is coming at the Son of God as though he, he was de- demonically possessed and had some crazy idea. So he takes him aside and he rebukes him. But when he had turned around, he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Look, how well do you see? Are you God-dependent or self-sufficient? Which was Peter. He's, he's thinking, self, I got the plan. I know how this should work. This is how it should be. This is how it's always gone before. This is how it ought to work. So he's self-sufficient, not God-dependent. And we've got to make that choice, guys. We, this is all part of the deal. Are, are you, how well do I see? I've got to go to God. Lord, I need you to open my eyes. Because God's the only one who does it. God's the only one who does it. And I, I want to seek Him with my whole heart. And I want to go after God with everything that's within me. But I want to recognize, as I go after God, and as I seek Him, that it's God that opens my eyes. Not my argument. Not my, not my beautifully put together apologetic. Not my complete understanding of Greek or Hebrew. It's God who opens the eyes. And so I have to learn in connecting with the world, in connecting with the lost, in connecting with people who need to know Jesus, to be God-dependent, not self-sufficient. i got to be, it's got to be God-moving. If I offend somebody because of the Word of God, it's hard, bro. That don't change. If I offend you because of me, that's not so good. I got to get out of the way and let God move. Let God move. Uh, I don't know. We could go now. I think the newspapers came out and they said, love one. Love has finally won all the battle and all the fight. And you know, the funny thing is, they're right. They just are pointing to the wrong battle. Love did win. 2,000 years ago on a cross, Jesus Christ saw the stain and the brokenness and the, and the ruin of mankind. And He came to take that upon Himself so that you and I could take on the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's for everyone. That opportunity is for everyone. I have no right to withhold that message from a single person, no matter what their attitude, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter what's going on in their life. I have no right to withhold that information. My job is to herald the truth. But when I herald the truth, when I'm looking at bringing that blind man to Jesus, I better have bathed it in passionate prayer for God to open their eyes. Does that not make sense? Lord, open her eyes so that they can see. Lord, open her eyes so that they can see. But the truth doesn't change, church. Truth doesn't change. Truth is truth no matter who says it ain't. It's still true. It'll still be true 100 years from now. It'll still be true into eternity. Let God be true and every man a liar. I want to be utterly and totally and completely God-dependent. We're going to come back and revisit this next week because I have 10 million things to say and I'm over. So, um, 
We want to be utterly and totally God-dependent. So this is what I just want you to try to focus on this. So we go into this week, and we're heading the next week, and, and uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not too worried about any of that stuff. I'm just saying, we've been given a commission by God Almighty as His church for how we ought to function, what our role is. And that role requires you and I to be utterly God-dependent, not self-sufficient. I spent a lot of years self-sufficient. I, I knew a lot of stuff. I studied a lot of stuff. I had a lot of stuff in my head. But it doesn't really matter. I can't express the information from my head to somebody is, who's in sin and have it make a difference in their life unless it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God is poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So my ability to express what God has given me to express to others must pass through a heart that cares about the well-being of others, which is given to me by the Holy Spirit, which is wrought in my life through prayers. I seek Him and I become God-dependent so that I can make a difference to the world. Twelve men turn the world upside down. Our world is back the other way again. Our, our world, well, our world here, not the only world. You, if you were in a world in China, you'd see the church doing amazing things in China. There's places all around the globe the church is having incredible success. And that's good, praise God. And we need to continue to pray for our brothers for that. But we need to recognize the battle that we're in and the reality that we better start to realize who we are, who God's calling us to be, what He's empowered us to do, and how to do it. How to do it. So that we're bringing people to Jesus. If I bring somebody to Jesus and they say, this is stupid, and they go, I did my job. I brought them to Jesus. I expressed it. I, I, I did my best to lay it out so that they could understand it. They closed the door on it. Then I put them in my prayers and there's another guy perishing right behind them. Isn't that what Jesus told him to do? Shake off the dust, forget about the failure, move forward? We want to see God, guys, we want to see God change our community, our families. Our, you, don't, you don't have to look big at the nation. we we got enough problems small. We need God to work in our families. i got family members, you got family members that need Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ in his life, right? So we go at it that way. God dependency, utterly covered in passionate prayer for the loss, and we bring them to Jesus and ask Jesus to open their eyes. And that, that never changed. That job doesn't change. The most important question any human will ever answer is when Jesus looks at him and says, Who do you say that I am? And it can't be a God of their own making. It can't be a God that's different than the God of the Bible can't be a God that says or does things in, in discord with what God's word says. Right? If I said to you guys, hey, I want you guys to, to, to know my wife. So my wife, Kathy, <clears throat> she's three feet tall. And were you going to be able to find her? You've seen her just walk in the back of the church get Joe. She wasn't three feet tall, right? So if I said, I'm describing somebody that she's not, right? You're never going to find her. It's got to be the Jesus, not something like him. Not somebody who uses the same name or the same attitude, but doesn't have the same reality of what God's word teaches. You guys get what I'm saying? It's got to be the, Jesus. Jesus. The one the Bible talks about, Jesus. We introduce people to Jesus Christ. And that changes 
our world, one life at a time. You willing to join the fight with me? Let's go. Let's go see God do what God does. It's not our job. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would meet us in this place. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move. Father, we know that as we gather, many times there are folks here, perhaps, whose eyes are not open at all. And maybe somebody through passionate prayers brought them here that they might see you, Lord. I pray, God, that we have lifted you up. We pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself. We pray that as there's opportunity during after the service for, for um, people to make professions of faith, that we, we pray that that would occur, Lord, as we have prayer counselors up front and opportunity for people to pray. Lord, we pray, God, that you would work in the hearts and lives of your church. Your church who perhaps have misrepresented you. Perhaps have, have thought one way or another of you. Or thought that everything must be culturally relevant. But didn't realize that your word makes, must, we must conform to. Not the other way around. So God we pray that you would do a work in your church. Lord that your church would catch fire. That your church would desire to love the world. To love the world, but not the, to love the world doesn't mean to turn our eyes to their destruction. It means to turn our hearts and eyes toward their salvation. That we would see Jesus Christ lifted up. And if he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So God, equip your church to go forward. Equip your church to be who she is called to be. That your church would make herself ready. By fulfilling the commission that you have given her. Lord, we pray that you would be magnified and glorified as this, as this body comes together, Lord. And that we may celebrate the truth, the truth that love won a long time ago. You loved us so much, you came from so far to do this incredible, incredible work. God, I pray that we might herald the truth of the work that you have done to change the heart of man. The only thing in all of creation that can change the heart of man. The only thing that can